Thomas from Slovakia. His mother died yesterday, so we should just remember Thomas in prayer. He's in Slovakia at the moment, also with Peter and Jana. Um, we can give thanks to Marilyn Isaacson and Helen, who were in Israel over the last few weeks and had difficulty getting out. Did manage to get out yesterday, so they came via Athens. Should remember Kiwon, who's in Korea and is going to be speaking at a conference tomorrow. I think is it tomorrow? Tomorrow and the next day. So pray for Kiwon in Korea. Maid is here. His uh, floor is at home with the newborn baby, whose name is Maria. Rihanna. Rihanna. Okay, we're trying to remember that. So we give thanks for that. Also, they've had some good news that they've been offered a flat in Ilford, a bit far away, but at least they have somewhere to live, as they have now got their permission to stay in the country. And Dave McDowell is going to have his operation tomorrow, and Dave's a bit nervous about it. So let's just pray for Dave and for these needs. I'm just going to share a little bit about Israel after that, but let's just pray. Lord, we do thank you that you know all our needs. We pray for those who have suffered bereavement recently, and we think particularly of Thomas in Slovakia. pray that you comfort him with the loss of his mother. May he know your peace and your comfort in this sad event. We thank you, Lord, also that Marilyn and Helen managed to get home last night from Israel. And we thank, pray that you would help them to recover from this very arduous journey they've had. And we thank you, Lord, for Kiwon, who's in Korea now, and pray that you bless him with this speak, talk that he's giving tomorrow and the day after. And just anoint him by your spirit to know how to speak and what to say. And we do give thanks for the news from Mady and Flora that uh, baby's been born safely. We pray for Rihanna. <laughs> Rihanna. Rihanna. Just pray you bless this baby and bless Flora and help her to recover from the childbirth and bless Raymond as well as he has a new sister to look after. And we just pray you bless them as a family. Thank you that they have now got somewhere to live. And we pray that you bless them in their new home. And Lord, we do lift up our brother Dave to you and you know that he's anxious about this medical treatment he's having tomorrow. Just pray, Lord, that you'll give him your victory in that situation. Help him, Lord, to know your peace and your victory. And we pray, Lord, that the doctors will perform whatever they're performing well, but also that you'd add your touch to him and pray for your healing hand upon him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just say a little bit about the situation. Um, obviously, I keep in touch with what's happening all the time. It's... Uh, Actually quite alarming, so I'm glad the children are out of the way before I share this. Um, the IDF forces said yesterday evening that the troops were preparing to expand the offensive in Gaza, involving a joint and coordinated attack from air, sea and land. The aim is to hunt down and to eradicate Hamas. As you've probably heard, they've told the people of Gaza to move south, and there are warnings of a humanitarian catastrophe. And right now there are troops ready to go in. If they go in, it's likely that it will cause not just trouble in Gaza, but also in the surrounding countries, particularly Hezbollah, who are already mobilizing their forces, making preparations to join the fight. Uh, there have been some exchanges across the border in Lebanon and also into Syria. And there's been increasing evidence that this was planned, not just 
happening on the spur of the moment. In fact, I have a report here uh, saying that uh, based on Syrian and Iranian sources in March, Hassan Nasrallah, the leader of Hezbollah, conducted an extended meeting online with Iranian-backed strategists. Nasrallah reported that told the Iran-backed groups to prepare for war with Israel that would include a ground invasion. So it's been going on. One of the real questions at the moment is just how Israel managed to miss what happened. And that's something which will be no doubt thrashed out in the days to come. Um, but Israel is certainly holding Iran and Hamas and Hezbollah responsible for coming against them and is probably right now preparing for attacks also on Hezbollah. In fact, someone said they should make a preemptive strike on Hezbollah's missiles. Hezbollah, by the way, has 150,000 missiles aimed at Israel. So it's a very serious situation. Um, there have been already attacks on Syria, with uh, Israel bombing Damascus airport and Aleppo airport. And Syria has been warned, actually, that they will attack Damascus full-scale if Hezbollah goes in. If that happens, then you could see another fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah about Damascus. Now, obviously, we pray that these things will be contained, but you have to be aware that these things are in motion. And as we see it happening, we're seeing also this rise of anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism, demonstrations in London yesterday, people chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. If you understand that, that means the end of Israel. Uh, it means that they're calling for Israel to be destroyed. And we see also that people are calling out for, one of the slogans was, we want Jews, we want Zionists, we want their blood. Here. Uh, so Jewish people here naturally are terrified, including here in Golders Green. So we should just pray. I mean, I'm, Michael's already prayed, but I just commit the situation to the Lord and continue to pray that God will hold back the most serious possibility, which could be an all-out war in the Middle East. Lord, we realize that we're in very dangerous times. We know that your word says in the last days there'll be perilous times. Evil men will go from bad to worse. And we see this happening right now. And we pray, Lord, that you will hold back the enemy. We pray for wisdom to the Israeli forces. Lord, we pray that there will be help to the people of Gaza. And we just don't want to see a catastrophe taking place which would cause hundreds of thousands even to die. But Lord, we just pray you'd have mercy. And we pray that you will rapidly bring Hamas down, Lord, and break their power. And we pray for all the possibilities of conflict in the middle, in Hezbollah, in the north. Just hold that back, Lord, we pray. And we pray, Lord, Lord, that you would have mercy upon the people, both in the north of Israel and in Lebanon and in Syria even. And Lord, we pray that you will help us in this terrible situation. And we do pray, Lord, also for the Jewish people in this neighborhood and around here. And we pray that the fear which has been raised by all this chanting and slogans and aggression, Lord, we pray that you would have mercy upon them. Pray also even you protect us as we've made a stand for Israel. And we pray, Lord, for all those who are on your side, if you were, in this, in this situation, that you protect us from the enemy. And we know that he is going round like a roaring lion with great power to devour and to destroy. And we would just 
come against the works of the devil and submit to God. Pray that Jesus will have the last word. And we look forward to your return. In Jesus' name, amen. I have um, written an insert to go into the present light for last days, which is on the table. You'll see the last light for last days was written before these things happen, so I've added something to it, which you'll find on the table, working on actually rewriting the first article. Uh, also, we got these little leaflets which you want to give out. I'll be living in the last days, which are pretty relevant, and if you want to give those to people, then please take some and pass on the word so that people can be warned and can turn to Jesus. Okay, so praise the Lord. We have the last word. Jesus is coming. And the victory is the Lord's. Hand over to Trevor. Well, thank you, Tony. It's with heavy hearts, isn't it, that we meet this morning? But we are here to praise the Lord and to thank him and to study his word. I want to look today at the book of Isaiah. I have to say that the message that I'm bringing this morning, I was asked by another church to prepare this message, but that was before all of this happened. And I think as we study this morning, we'll realize how relevant the word of God is. And Michael, thank you so much for those prayers this morning, for the scriptures that you reminded us of. Uh, because it's through, your, through God's word that we can be uplifted and we can see that hope. But interestingly, the book of Isaiah has often been likened to the Bible in miniature. The Bible has 66 books. Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Bible has two testaments, 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 books in the New Testament. And likewise, Isaiah has two parts, chapters 1 through 39 and then 40 through 66, giving us 39 and 27 chapters. The emphasis of the 39 Old Testament books is on God's righteousness, holiness, and justice. And we see that same theme in chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah. The emphasis in the 27 books of the New Testament is on God's glory, compassion, and grace. And again, we see that reflected in the final chapters of Isaiah. The Old Testament emphasizes humanity's need for salvation. And chapters 1 through 39 emphasize Israel's need for restoration. In the New Testament, we see a description of God's provision of salvation in the Messiah. And the chapters ending Isaiah 40 through 66 predict God's future provision and salvation through the servant of God, the Messiah. The Bible begins with a description of humanity's rebellion and ends with a depiction of salvation in Jesus Christ. Isaiah begins with the description of Israel's rebellion and ends with predictions of restoration. The Bible's message, a holy God will gain glory by judging sin and saving those who call on the name of his son, Jesus. Isaiah's message, a holy God will gain glory by judging sin and restoring his people. Now they're not my thoughts. I saw those in, a, I think it was from Ryrie who gave those thoughts, but I thought they were very apt. In addition to this, we can see throughout Isaiah evidence of the Messiah. We see his commission in Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2, and Isaiah 53, verse 2. 
We see his message in Isaiah 50, verses 4 and 5. His ministry in Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 6, 9, verses 1 and 2, and chapter 42, verses 2 through 7. His suffering in chapter 50, verse 6 and 52, 14. His death in 53, verses 1 through 12. His resurrection in 52, verse 13. And finally, his rule in Isaiah 9, verse 7, and again in 32, verse 11. Throughout the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, God states his case against Israel and judges Israel's sins. The Assyrian Empire was in power. The northern kingdom had already been taken into captivity. And although God had promised to save Judah, they would still go into captivity in Babylon. In Isaiah 39, verses 6 through 7, Isaiah tells King Hezekiah this. He says, Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. God's final warning to Hezekiah of captivity to come. And today we want to look at Chapter 40. And chapter 40 begins the second part of Isaiah. David Barron notes this. He says, The second half of the book of Isaiah, consisting of the last 27 chapters, is the sublimest and richest portion of Old Testament revelation. It forms a single, continuous prophecy which occupies the same position in the prophetic scriptures as the book of Deuteronomy in the Pentateuch and the Gospel of John in relation to to the Synoptic Gospels. That's how David Barron describes this second part of Isaiah. And so with that in background, let's look at Isaiah chapter 40, and we'll begin by reading, begin by reading verses 1 through 5. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. And bear in mind, this is a, a commandment from the Lord. Comfort ye, Comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received double, received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked should be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord should be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Let's just give this time together in God's word to the Lord. Father, you know our hearts. You've heard our prayers. And you know our concerns. But today, Lord, we want to study your word, because your word gives us everything that we need to know about what happened in the past, what is happening today, and what indeed will happen in times to come. Help us as we study these few verses from the prophecy that you've given to Isaiah, to see clearly through your word, your plans and purposes for Israel, but also, Lord, the part we need to play. Pray, Lord, that the words I give this morning be your words, not my words. Take away my thoughts, Lord. Let them be yours. 
And may we be strengthened and encouraged by what we read and hear from your word today. And we ask for the, public, for the blessing of the public reading of your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before I continue, I, I think it's important to understand that whilst what we're about to study is written to Israel, it has great significance for us today. We've already heard this morning, and we already know from what we've been seeing on the news and reading in reports, the terrible news of the events that have happened over this past week and continue to happen. And our hearts indeed go out to all those who have lost loved ones or witnessed the horrific violence that took place. Our own friends of Israel Gospel Ministry staff, together with many members of their families and congregations, are currently on active service with the IDF on the Gaza border, in Hebron, and on the Northern Front. And we would value your prayers alongside your prayers for others, for those of our brothers and sisters, members of our family that are on the front line, young men, who may not survive. And that's true of all of those that have been called up to serve the land of Israel at this time. And so we keep those in our prayers. But God commanded Isaiah and perhaps other prophets of the day to comfort my people. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Israel, isn't he? Comfort my people. And he also commanded them to speak comfortably or tenderly to Jerusalem. And the Hebrew word here for comfortably, that word is lev. And it carries the sense of meaning of speaking to the heart in gentle and encouraging words, much as a mother would speak to her children. And now more than ever in recent history, we find that it's time to speak tenderly to the heart of the Israeli people. Speaking tenderly to the heart of the people that live in this area, Golders Green, Temple Fortune, and elsewhere wherever we encounter them, to be ready to speak tenderly to their heart. It's hard to bring words of comfort, but we can bring words of empathy and standing alongside and encouraging that they have, they, they, they have friends and that we are their friends. In 1938, the Friends of Israel, and notice in 1938, our organization was called the Friends of Israel, Ten years before that nation was reborn, the Friends of Israel was created to help Jewish people in their greatest times of need. And that work has continued for the past 85 years and continues today with renewed urgency. Our ministry, the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, is currently focusing on providing funds to the Jewish Agency for Israel's Victims of Terror Fund to help those impacted by war. For the purchase of critical supplies for Magan David Adom, Israel's Red Cross, and to support other humanitarian organizations that are saving lives and helping victims of war. The provision of missile shelters also forms a critical part of our support. And only just last weekend, we purchased a further three missile shelters, bringing our total to 65. That means that when a missile alert sounds, more than 1,100 people can find shelter in a missile shelter that was purchased by the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. As the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry United Kingdom, we recently launched an appeal. Those of you that are on our mailing list will have received it. 
And that appeal is to raise funds to buy a further missile shelter. And that shelter will carry a dedication plaque to the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry United Kingdom. If you'd like to partner with us by contributing to this fund, by purchasing an essential piece of equipment that will save Jewish lives from those thousands of rockets that are being fired on a regular basis, speak to us after the service and we'll be happy to help you. You can also make donations on our friendsofisrael.uk website on the general fund. Anything we receive through the general fund at present will be put towards this appeal. But enough of that. Let's return to our text for today. After many years of suffering at the hands of her enemies, the Lord wanted his, to win his people back to him. And how was he going to do this? In verses 1 through 5 of chapter 40, the Lord commanded that his people Israel be comforted through the prophets, speaking words, God's words, tenderly to them. In verse 2, he commands them to cry or prophesy three things unto her. That firstly, her warfare is accomplished. Thirdly, secondly, sorry, her iniquity is pardoned because thirdly, she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Let's just break those things down for a moment. The first point, for many years, the Lord has been judging Israel. It was as if he had been warring against his people. The ten tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel have been taken into captivity by the Assyrians beginning somewhere around 740 BC, and they would never return to their homeland. Furthermore, the southern kingdom of Judah would soon be taken into exile by the Babylonians in 586 BC. That's the historic placing of this prophecy. And now the Lord tells Israel that her warfare or time of suffering is about to come to an end. And that prophecy has both a near and a far fulfillment. The near fulfillment will be deliverance from the Babylonian captivity that would come about by means of Cyrus. The far fulfillment will be Israel's final deliverance from end-time Babylon by way of the Messiah at the end of the tribulation period when Israel will be restored. And then no longer will God war against his people. Her warfare will be accomplished or finished. Secondly, the Lord will pardon Israel's iniquity. Warren Wearsby reminds us that the nation had sinned greatly before the, against the Lord with their idolatry, injustice, immorality, and insensitivity to his messengers. We read that in Jeremiah chapter 7. But they were still his people, and he loved them. And though he would chasten them, he would not forsake them. The word for pardoned in Hebrew is nitzah, nitzah. And it has a sense of meaning to be pleased with or to satisfy a debt. Israel's iniquity can only be pardoned once God's righteousness and justice has been satisfied by the payment of a price. And throughout the Hebrew scriptures, Israel's iniquity, we read, can only be atoned for by means of daily sacrifices. But once the temple was destroyed in AD 70, those sacrifices became impossible. So how will Israel's iniquity be pardoned? How, will our, how was our own iniquity pardoned? In order to pardon iniquity, a sacrifice is still required. Blood has to be shed. Hebrews 9 verse 22 tells us that almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And so the answer to that question is Jesus. 
Jesus who shed his own blood on the cross of Calvary, as we've just remembered this morning. Isaiah 53 verse 6 tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him and on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And again we're reminded that it was Jesus in Titus 2 verse 14. It was Jesus who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. The good news, the gospel message is simply this. We read it in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as Michael reminded us this morning, John 14.6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And then he went on to say, no man cometh to the Father but by me. There is only one way, and that's through Jesus, the Messiah. And so my challenge is, do you believe this? I know most, if not all of you in here will. But we don't know those people that are listening. People that might watch. Do you believe that Jesus came to this earth to die on a cross for your sins? And the sins of the whole world. No exceptions. No ethnic exceptions. No religious exceptions. No matter what, he came to die for the sins of the whole world. And he rose again to be with God the Father that we might also, if we believe in him, share that glorious resurrection for eternity. Do you believe this? The third point is that Israel has received double for her sins at the hand of the Lord. The principle of Israel receiving double is, is found in the Mosaic law. And this law demanded that the firstborn, the firstborn son, must receive double. And we know that Israel was considered his firstborn, God's firstborn. We see that in Exodus, Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And for that reason, Israel was to receive double both in blessing and in punishment. That principle of receiving double for sins and double for blessings also seen expressed in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 7. We read there, for your shame, this is Israel, ye shall have double, and for confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess the double, everlast, double, everlasting joy shall be unto them. Everlasting joy. That means forever, doesn't it? Israel paid and is paying a heavy price for sin. But ultimately she will receive a double blessing from the Lord. That's his promise. And we serve a God who keeps his promises. We can also see this in Isaiah 61 verses 6 through 9. He says, but ye Israel shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. And in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. For your shame you shall have double. And for confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. For I, the Lord, love judgment or justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering, and I will direct their work in truth, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. An everlasting covenant. And their seed shall be known among the Gentiles, and their offspring among the people. All that see them shall acknowledge them, 
They that are the seed which the Lord hath blessed. These verses speak of the year of the Lord's favor, the time of Jesus' second coming, when Israel will finally be reestablished in her own land, possessing all of the land that was promised them by God. As we move on into verses 3 and 4 of chapter 40, we read this. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. A wonderful solo from Handel's Messiah too. You know, in ancient days, when a king came to visit another king, it was customary that either the highway to the city would be cleared of any obstacles, or a new highway would be constructed. And that was done so that the visiting king would have a smooth road, an unhindered journey. And you'll find these words quoted in all four of the Gospels as John the Baptist preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And we can see that when the king finally comes in verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh, all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Now this is a prophecy that extends to the second coming When at the end of the tribulation period, the surviving Jewish people who have believed in the Messiah call out for Jesus to return, quoting as we heard this morning from Michael, Psalm 118, verse 26, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. When Jesus returns to this earth at his second advent, the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah, the Shekinah, as we might pronounce it, will be revealed to all flesh, to all flesh. But we need to remember something. No unbelievers survive the final battle against Antichrist and his army. And so to whom will his glory be revealed? What does all flesh mean? The only people who survive the tribulation and that final battle will be those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And they are the ones who will see his glory. And the fact that all flesh shall see it together speaks of the second coming is actually shown us in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 and 30, we read there that immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now these verses also tell us that this will be a time of great sadness and yet great joy for Israel. Great sadness. They'll mourn the fact that their forebears didn't understand that Jesus was the Messiah at his first coming. And because of that they never inherited the kingdom that was promised them. Jesus offered the kingdom to Israel but by accusing Jesus of casting out devils by the prince of devils, and we read that in Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, that offer was withdrawn from them, but that offer was not cancelled. The offer wasn't cancelled, but it was postponed until the time of his second coming, when the final believing remnant of Israel recognizes his messiahship. 
The time of sadness or mourning is also revealed in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. We read there that they shall look upon me, the Lord says, whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his firstborn. But their time of rejoicing can be seen in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The Lord says, sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast away thine enemy. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil anymore. And one thing is 100% certain. This will happen. It will come to pass. Look again at verse 5 of chapter 40. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Why? For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Verses 6 to 8 of Isaiah, verse 40, provide an interesting contrast to what we've just read. In verses 6 and 7, we actually see a voice of discouragement. The voice said, cry. That's one voice. And another voice said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And the goodness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. Well, if we think about it, man's life on earth is of a transitory nature, isn't it? We're born, we live, we die. Like the grass and the flowers, life finally comes to an end. Because we all, one day, will wither and die. So what's the point of giving a message of hope if... Everything withers away to nothing. Well, the answer is in the next verse. There's another voice that comes along by saying, the grass withers, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. But, that word again, the word of our God shall stand up, shall, shall, shall stand forever. It's as though the Lord's saying, cheer up, folks. Your life may be transitory, but God's word isn't. God's word stands forever. Remember, just for a moment, that what we're reading in Isaiah is for Israel. How often do we read that Israel has lost hope? Scripture tells us of many revivals and disappointments throughout the history of Israel. But there's always a message of hope. God promised in his word that Israel would finally be restored and redeemed. And since his word stands forever, it is forever to be trusted. Hallelujah. That promise of final victory and restoration of Israel will be fulfilled. And so she shall be comforted. And it's precisely because God's word stands forever that his promises to Israel will be fulfilled. That we also can have a sure and certain hope. That we can be comforted by the fact that though our own life on this earth is transitory... And that one day we will all die. We shall, if we have believed and trusted in Christ, enjoy eternal life with him. Are you looking forward to that? You don't sound terribly convinced this morning. Are you looking forward to that? Hallelujah. Way back in history, you know, Job was 100% certain of that fact, wasn't he? Do you remember Job chapter 19, verses 25 to 27, when he said, For I know, 
Not just I think that my Redeemer liveth. I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Job could see the return of Jesus. And though after my skin and worms destroy this body, he says, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold. Job had that certainty. He had that hope. And I pray that we all share that same certainty of hope. One day, we shall see God. We shall see him in our own flesh. And our eyes will behold him and his glory. And that brings us now to verse 9 of chapter 40. O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. And here we can see a message that speaks comfortably to Israel. That Hebrew word for good tidings or good news is the Hebrew word basar, meaning to hear or bear good news. And that could also be translated as gospel, because gospel is the good news, isn't it? Let me just quote from Arnold Fruchtenbaum's commentary on Isaiah for a few seconds. Arnold says, ultimately, the promises of verse 2 will see their complete fulfillment by preaching the gospel to Jerusalem. The encouragement comes out strongly. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. The recipients of this message are the cities of Judah. This means that there will be a great evangelistic campaign carried out among the Jewish people that will bring about Israel's national salvation and the final realization of the promises of verse 2. The fulfillment of this prophecy will especially be seen in the preaching of the two witnesses of Revelation 11, verses 3 through 13. The content of their message will be, Behold your God. In the future, Arnold says, Israel's God will come in the person of Yeshua of Nazareth, and that is the good news to Israel. Verse 10 we read, Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. The Hebrew words for reward and works are synonyms. Two words, different words having the same meaning. And let me just quote something technical from Delish here. Keelan Delish, the commentary. He says, passing from the general idea of work to that of something earned and forfeited. Jehovah brings with him the penal reward of the enemies of his, people, of his people and also the gracious reward of the faithful of his people whom he will compensate for their previous sufferings with far exceeding joys. We get some wonderful explanations sometimes from these commentaries. In other words, when Jesus returns, he'll come as a ruler, but he'll also come as a judge to the Gentile nations. Now let's look at verse 11. We see here his relationship to Israel. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. And he shall gently, gently lead those that are with young. Israel will no longer be oppressed by those who were supposed to be their shepherds. You know the, strong, the Lord's got very strong words to say against such shepherds, the false shepherds, those that... We're supposedly leading Israel, and indeed we could also apply that to the church today in some cases, sadly. 
And we read that in the prophet prophet Ezekiel, chapter 34, verses 2 through 6. He says there, son of man, that's to Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds. Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Remember, he's speaking about the prophets of the old days. Ye eat the fat, ye clothe you with the wool. Ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. The diseased have ye not strengthened. Neither have ye healed that which was sick. Neither have ye bound up that which was broken. Neither have ye brought again that which was driven away. Neither have ye sought that which was lost. But with force and with cruelty have ye ruled them. And they were scattered because there were no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. The Lord says, my sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth and none did search or seek after them. Some very powerful words against those who were supposed to be looking after God's people. But there's good news. The good news is that the Lord himself will be their shepherd. Ezekiel 34, verses 12 to 16, he says, I will seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they've been scattered. This is his promise to Israel. He says, I'll I'll gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. I'll feed them in a good pasture and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. I will seek that which was lost, and bring and bind up, sorry, and bring again that which was driven away, and will bind up that which was broken, and will strengthen that which was sick. And in verse 11 we read, again, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. Scripture interpreting scripture. Wonderful promise for Israel. She's been scattered throughout the nations, and they have been and they still are, without a true shepherd. But there will come a time when the Lord will gather them, like a shepherd gathers his lambs, carrying them close to his heart, and gently leading those who have young. But you know, there's a much earlier scripture that we can refer to here. We can go all the way back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 3. We read there that it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children, with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that when the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. That's an end time prophecy. It speaks of the time when Israel finally returns to the Lord. And then the Lord will gather them as a shepherd gathers his sheep. That word for gather, the Hebrew word in Deuteronomy 30 verse 3, is actually the same word that's used in Isaiah that we just read in verse 11. And both passages here refer to Israel's final regathering. In World War II, Hitler called for the complete destruction of the Jews. 
Today we hear similar calls for them to be driven from the river to the sea and for Jews everywhere to be killed. And this echoes the words of the enemies of Israel in Psalm 83 verse 4 when they said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. And we know from scripture that there come a time when all nations will be against Israel. And that includes the United Kingdom and the United States. All nations will be against Israel. But the Lord has promised Israel that he will neither leave them nor forsake them. He will never leave them nor forsake them. The Lord was with his people in the War of Independence of 1948. During the Six-Day War of 1977 and the Yom Kippur War of 1973. And there's no doubt that the Lord will be with Israel in this current war. No matter what happens, the Lord will be with his people. It was, again, Michael reminded us this morning of the covenant that God made with Avram. In Genesis 15:18, he said, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the, great, the river Euphrates. And that covenant, we know, was an everlasting covenant. Genesis 17, verse 7, the Lord says, I will establish my covenant between me, Avram, and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And as if that wasn't enough, there's further evidence that Israel shall never cease to be a nation in Jeremiah 31. We're all familiar with the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31. Many people quote it, many people claim it. But how many people read on to verses 35 through 37? I know most of you, if not all of you, will have done. But we read there that, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Verse 37, thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 62, verses 1 through 3, the Lord says this to Israel. He says, for Zion's sake will I not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof is a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. That's God's promise for Israel, for a nation that will never, ever, ever be destroyed. And for a nation that no matter what happens in this present time or in a time to come, a nation that will inhabit and inherit all of the land that God promised them. That's a huge area. And it's a beautiful promise that God has for his people. It's a promise of hope. In the few verses that we read today, we saw that God has a perfect plan for Israel. 
We read just a few seconds ago in Isaiah 62 that the Lord said, I will not hold my peace. May we also not stay silent at this time in our support for Israel. No matter what man attempts to do now or in the future, Israel will survive. Let me repeat that. No matter what man tries to do or attempts to do now or in the future, Israel will survive. Amen? Amen. There's a lot more to share in Isaiah 40. And we haven't got time to go further today. But let me close with a final thought from the final verses of the same chapter. Isaiah 40, verses 29 to 31. The Lord says this. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There's something we need to notice in those verses. And that's to whom God gives power. Or should I say those to whom God does not give power. He doesn't give power to those who count themselves as being strong. To those who are proud and confident in their own strength and abilities. But he gives strength to the weak. The Lord gives strength to those who wait on him. David Guzik in his Enduring Word commentary asks a question. He says, how do we receive this strength from the Lord? We could also say, how does Israel receive this strength from the Lord? And he goes on to answer that. He says, we receive it as we wait on the Lord. The idea behind wait on the Lord is not a passive sitting around until the Lord does something. Yes, God gives us strength. But we don't expect it to come as if he were pouring it into us as we sit passively. He brings it to us as we seek him and rely on him instead of our own strength. He gives strength because we seek him and rely on him and not on our strength. If we are weak, it's because we do not wait on the Lord. That's David Guzik in his Enduring Word commentary. I find that quite an encouragement and also quite enlightening because, again, that verse is often misquoted and misunderstood. And as we look on a troubled world, it seems to many that there's no answer to the horrors of violence and terrorism. Perhaps we too feel weak and helpless at times, and I'm sure we do. But it's at times such as these that we need to draw on the Lord for our strength. Each and every one of us needs to draw on the Lord for our strength. But our prayer for Israel is that she would also remember that it is the Lord who is on their side and turn to him for their strength. We don't have tanks and drones and rockets and missiles and bombs. As children of God, the church, we only have one weapon, and that's prayer. Prayer is our only weapon 